Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Raise Green podcast. I'm your host today, Franz Hochstrasser, CEO and co-founder of Raise Green. Raise Green podcast explores the climate crisis through the minds of local leaders and global experts. Short, accessible conversations explore new ways of working together via personal stories about creating a healthy, just, and sustainable future. As economic disparity, environmental degradation, and social injustices continue emerging as defining issues of the 21st century, we need solutions that scale faster than the pace of the problems. These conversations ask how. Welcome to Raise Green. Today, I'm lucky to be joined by Shingi Samudzi. He is the head of strategy at Lumen Energy, and he is involved in all things operations and long-term go-to-market for that team. He combines his passion for infrastructure and economic development with nearly a decade of data science experience at companies like Google and Kaiser Permanente. In his spare time, he works with African diasporans to leverage decentralized finance and invest in businesses back home. Hey, how's it going, Franz? Hey, Shingi. Great. Well, with a great background in data science and infrastructure, it sounds like you have an incredible career behind you. Uh, but we're even more excited about what's ahead. Uh, so excited to dig in and learn more about Lumen Energy. Thank you for having me. So we always like to kick off our conversations with some basic questions. Who are you? What are you doing? And why raise green? We like to call ourselves the easy button for commercial and industrial solar. So you know the traditional installation process, if you are a building owner, is putting out an RFP, getting lots of different quotes, doing the brain damage of kind of trying to figure out which one makes sense, understanding the long-term cash flow and break-even points, uh, and then also doing the project management for the installation itself. On top of that, there's also financing considerations. So the process for actually getting solar onto a roof is extremely fraught and complex for most businesses. So we take all of the hassle out by essentially being a black box white glove service provider. So you want an easy button to get solar on your roof, that's Lumen Energy. And for going on Raised Green, what we found is that you know the, the commercial and industrial solar market is really interesting, that above a certain size in terms of installation, let's just call it 50 kilowatts, but usually a little bit more, we found that based on sort of the current set of in- incentives from the federal government, that the tax equity investors that we leverage to finance projects largely are comfortable with projects over a certain size, over that 50 kilowatt threshold. From the standpoint of the financing side or from the actual customer or the power buyer side, the cost of capital is still attractive. And so you're able to still get some level of savings. Um, but below a certain size, you know, we're talking about you know, the size of a convenience store um, or other, some other smaller building, which can still benefit from solar energy um, but just doesn't have the the footprint, the building footprint to really demand a high level of capacity. The financials and the math just doesn't pencil quite as well with traditional financing. But what we're able to what we're able to see though is that through um, targeting retail investors through platforms like Raise Green, we're able to get a much lower cost of capital that makes financing these kinds of projects much more viable. So that we're still able to offer savings to these small business owners or these small building owners who are looking to implement solar. So that presents us with an amazing opportunity to open up to a a whole market that has largely been neglected by traditional commercial solar. Fantastic. Well, I can definitely identify with the need for an easy button for solar. 
We're at Braze Green very familiar with the brain damage you're referring to, Shingi. We also work on making it easy for anyone to create, fund, build, and run their own clean energy. Um, so it sounds like we're very mission aligned with you all, and uh, that, that goal is close to our heart as well. What have you found to be the biggest pain points in deploying commercial and industrial solar? There's been a couple. So one of the things that we found is that, um, you know, there's, and I'm sure that, um, and this is not exclusive to solar, but in a lot of other areas where there's a lot of sort of ideological, or I think the term is virtue signaling about certain things, is that there's a pretty big delta between the, the game that people talk and the walk that people walk. Um, and so the big challenge is, you know, while there are a lot of buildings that could potentially benefit from solar, and, you know, we have a proprietary technology stack that allows us to profile buildings and identify which buildings are optimal for, for solar and implementation. What we found is that um, even if savings are on the table, even if everything is, is lining up and it's a no-brainer to, to switch from your traditional utility company, which has the, you know, the black, especially in California, we have the blackouts, we have the excessive price hikes year over year, all of that, right? Even, even when we present that case, we still have businesses that are they either look for either even deeper savings in which case, or they, they look for how much is Lumen making on the back end. Um, there are all sorts of objections that come up, even with businesses that say they want to go green. So it's really challenging to, to really effectively find uh, building owners that are truly committed to implementing solar. And even when the use case for them, it lines up and there's just, you know, the, the financials line up and it makes sense we still see that there's a reluctance. You know, part of it is just, um, there's always a natural inertia to make a change. Looking at utility versus solar, I mean, there's that sort of psychological barrier of like, yeah, I have to actually do a thing where I put panels on my roof and there's like this, this whole big change. Even if from the standpoint of the power buyer, it's literally just changing who I'm making my monthly payments to from PG&E to, you know, the panels on top of my roof we still see that there's, there's still that psychological barrier. So that's something that we're working hard to, to overcome with building owners. Yeah, Shingi, I, I hear you on the psychological barriers. I think those are very significant as a reason why solar hasn't been more quickly adopted. As a quick anecdote, in graduate school, I was able to take a course from Ken Gillingham, uh, who has studied what these barriers are to residential solar adoption, particularly and they found after studying solar panel installation across 58 towns in the United States and studying about 1.4 million residents in total, uh, that community organizers who themselves installed through the program, they were able to recruit 63% more residents to install solar panels uh, than community organizers who did not. So these credibility enhancing displays of somebody you know, speaking from a place of experience, uh, really do make a huge difference in the adoption. So next question here is that the cost of solar has dropped dramatically in the last decade, and its adoption though is still low as we're discussing. So how is Lumen positioned to increase solar development? The, the key here is that there needs to be a level of integration down the value chain. I think that it's really difficult for, you know, for a business that just does installation to be able to make, to make that pitch to customers. Because I think, again, customers, 
you know, are going to look for objections. They're going to naturally assume that the contractor has some margin that they're clawing back and they're going to try to count the dollars that the, that the contractor is making. So you, again, you talk about sort of this, these, the credibility, so to speak, and that's, it's kind of a challenge if you are sort of just occupying one space on that value chain. So our approach to this is, is to essentially be a centralized source. So it's not just installation that you come to us for, but it's also access to financing. It's also about down the road, potentially supply of items. You know, it, it, it ranges the, the entire value chain or the entire sort of vertically integrated chain of things that you need to do to get CNI installed. So the idea here is that instead of having to go to different disparate parts or having to rely on somebody whose expertise is in one thing to then like connect you with those other pieces, you know, that easy button concept is essentially, here's how much you can save. Here's a potential offer. You hit this easy button. You have an account manager that walks you through the entire step. We connect you with the best price solar installer that we vetted already. We have project management in place. The financing is in place for you. So at the end of the day, this really is just a decision about, okay, how much less can I make my monthly payment for my, my energy to be? So I think that's, that's, that's kind of our, our focus, right? Is that um, it's really all about, you know, it's all about aggregating and integrating this value chain so that we do, we essentially do all the heavy lifting of bringing all of the suppliers in one place for the consumers to essentially just take their pick of what offer makes the most sense for them. Yeah, that's incredibly powerful. Bringing efficiency to an inefficient market uh, really is is a great way to drive impact. And Shingi, why do you feel like crowdfunding is an attractive financing option for companies like yours? Well, so I think we're exploring a lot of different models in that space from a financing perspective. Like I mentioned earlier, it's um, with a certain building size or a certain capacity build out in terms of your panels it becomes really difficult to, to finance with this tax equity investor model. The cost of capital that most of these groups are going to be asking for essentially doesn't make the math pencil out for projects below a certain size. But like I mentioned before, I mean, there are a lot of buildings that that excludes just sort of out of hand, right? And if we're looking at anywhere from, you know, six to seven million buildings, CNI buildings across the United States, right? You know, if something like 50% of them are you know, roof sizes below a certain size and they, they can only fit a capacity of under 50 kilowatts. I mean, that's a massive amount of energy demand that we're just leaving to figure it out by themselves. So I think being getting closer to retail investors who, you know, may not ask for a, a high cost of capital, who are more interested in the outcomes than necessarily maximizing the, the cash flow or maximizing that return off of these projects, I think is powerful for us. I think finding people who, who have the dollars and also have the commitment, sort of walking the walk, like I said earlier, and are willing to put their dollars behind that, I think there's a massive pool of capital. I mean, we've seen this, you know, when the Jobs Act passed in what, 2012? I mean, we saw it with a number of other mm-hmm. platforms for more, for more traditional business financing with the Kickstarters and et cetera. I mean, now we're starting to see it in the real estate space with, uh, with, uh, with CrowdStreet and um, with a number of other types of platforms and with yield farming even. You know? So we're starting to see much right. more attention being paid to real retail investors. And retail investors now have the same kinds of options that were previously only available to institutional investors in terms of investing where your convictions are and mm-hmm. in having a wide range of options around that. So I think that this is, it's, a, it's a really cool opportunity to connect 
two really emerging spaces right now in our economy in one place to drive some really powerful outcomes that impact not only climate change, but also our massive job creator and sort of like a, a harbinger of the, this 21st century economy that we keep talking about. Yeah, investing in where your convictions are. Man, that's a, that's a great quote. I'm going to use that. I think that what you're touching on there is that, you know, this, this confluence of rising interest from retail impact investors uh, and retail investors in general, you know, with the GameStop stuff, uh, really flexing their muscle, uh, but also institutional investors feeling the pressure of that interest from their, their clients uh, to drive it further into the space. Uh, we're really seeing an unprecedented interest in climate-focused investments across the board right now. So how can businesses leverage this motivation to create a greater impact, do you think? I think that's a challenging question because I think what, I've, what we've seen in, in clean tech and in sustainable energy is that um, there, there needs to be a pretty hefty level of tailwind by government to really drive these incentives. I mean, like even right now, even as the levelized cost of electricity from solar um, is below that of say coal or other more traditional sources of electricity, we're still seeing this difficulty, this slow adoption. And you're still seeing you know, massive levels of, of incentives that are being pushed in order to drive adoption. So you know, while there is a lot of interest and while there is a lot of buzz, we're still seeing that, you know, that bell curve in terms of adoption curve where we have, we're still sort of right now in this early adopter phase where, um, you know, it's not quite mainstream yet in terms of actual action. It's becoming a mainstream part of the conversation. Um, so it really comes down to continued lobbying because again, you know, you're seeing PG&E in California fight back, right? They're pushing more legislation that essentially changes the economic calculus for net metering now. So with this, uh, this new proposed net metering framework, now they're going to pay you back even less uh, if, you, if you move to a net metering solution, I think it's after April 2022. Look at the state of Arizona, for example. They make it exceedingly difficult to, to be off-grid or to do any kind of net metering with solar. So it still requires a lot of lobbying. It's still a, a, a really large legislative fight um, to really provide an economic environment for this industry to grow. Um, and not continue to be subject to, to our more traditional utilities. So, you know, it starts with conversations. It starts with mobilizing voters and mobilizing legislators, um, getting people to write to their, to their congresspeople, keeping these conversations going on social media, really putting the pressure on keeping these issues front and center about the why. Like, why are we doing this? This is not just about, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a great profit opportunity for those that are in the solar space. But at the end of the day, this, it's, a, it's an imperative that we do this because there are a lot of massive social um, consequences, social political consequences to not doing that. You know, when sea levels start to rise and droughts start to become a more normal thing, not just uh, severe drought, but exceptional drought, like we're seeing in California, you're starting to see the political issues rise from those kinds of conflicts, right? Where now we're making choices about, okay, well, do we, do we give water to wine growers in Napa Valley, or do we give water to Central Valley because we don't have enough for both, you know, you start, you start to really see that to, to come up and you start to see that even play out geopolitically in terms of countries, whole countries that don't have access to sufficient water um, or other 
important resources. Um, you know, COVID has also introduced another significant um, wrench in the whole thing in terms of disrupting supply chains, which has an impact even on the production of photovoltaic cells and the distribution of those products once they're actually in the market, et cetera. So it really comes down to just pushing the issue with government to create, continue to create that environment that really facilitates that growth. Um, and then from the standpoint of the business side, it's also just continuing to identify what are those factors that are really going to motivate buyers to actually make the move, right? It's not just about pushing the value and pushing climate change, because I think if we're going to be real here, especially if you're target targeting small businesses or owner-occupied buildings, right? The scope of these folks is not about solving existential problems for humanity. It, it really isn't, right? They're existential crisis is, am I going to survive next year? And COVID has impacted, I mean, the target audience for buildings that are 50 kilowatt or less from in the CNI space are all buildings that have been heavily impacted by COVID and their, their whole business models have been heavily impacted. So they're thinking about the survival of their business. So how can we tie in the, the value proposition of solar with the survival of their business and really refining and crafting that message? I think that's not something that I have seen really be nailed yet in terms of solar. I think if we're going to borrow a term from the, the tech world, right, solar has not yet found a product market fit. And it's not the thing itself, but it's more about how it's presented and how the what's in it for me is being presented to people who don't see themselves as like their work or their purchase of solar saving humanity, but they're thinking about it from the standpoint of how does this help my business. Thank you so much, Shingi, for coming on today and sharing those insights. To your point on the lobbying front, I really do think people need to raise their voice, especially right now. There's a package in front of Congress. Even just a, a phone call um, or a letter can go a long way um, from a local constituent. So uh, I know there's a lot of pressure at the federal level, but definitely touching on that is smart. I think we, like you say, we can do it all. We got to stay focused, but uh, we're immensely appreciative of you spending some time with us. Looking forward to working with you going forward. Any last things you want to share with our listeners? No, I think thank you, Franz, for having us on. I mean, we're really looking forward to connecting with the, the investors on Race Green. We have some exciting power purchase agreement off takers that we're going to be working with and bringing on board. Right now, we're focused primarily in California. But, um, you know, within the next year, we're going to be expanding out to other markets across the United States. So this is just a you know, first step in what we hope is many of, of helping power, you know, the 6 million plus growing number of commercial and industrial buildings in the United States with solar power. Well, thank you again, Shingi, for coming on. Uh, it was a pleasure having you. Very excited about what you all are working on at Lumen. Thank you for having me. As a reminder to our listeners, uh, nothing you heard today is investment advice. We don't give tax advice, accounting, or legal or financial advice. And Raise Green is an SEC a registered and FINRA member investment portal. If you want to check out our offerings, please go on to invest.raisegreen.com, uh, where you can find more about all of what you heard today. Uh, we look forward to having you next time on the Raise Green podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.